the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Patriots Win Monday, our first one of 2021. It is a Pats win Monday here on WDEV. Pats beat the Jets, final score 25-6. Red Sox sweep the Orioles. The Yankees are falling further out of the wild card race. So a pretty good weekend overall for sports fans in our area. We're going to break down all of it today over the course of the next 90 minutes. We have a full show today. No Red Sox baseball. Sox will have a two-game miniseries starting at home tomorrow against the New York Mets. Coming up today, we've got the voice of the New York Jets, Bob Wischusen, he'll be with us at 545 and talk about what he saw last night at MetLife Stadium. And then we'll hear a little bit later from Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus at about 635 or so. So uh, I had a chance to talk with Doug for a long interview. We'll play back just a couple of minutes of that, and the full interview is available on the podcast channel. As always, you can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802 585 3026, that's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Let's waste no time. Lots to get to on this Pats Win Monday. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. You can also find them on Facebook at Sticks and Stuff VT. All right. So as I said, the Patriots beat the Jets 25 to 6, and as a result, they're now one and one and right in the thick of things in the AFC East. And coming out of yesterday, I really only have one takeaway. Just one. That's it. We just have to be okay with Mac Jones playing this way for now. The emphasis is on the wording for now, but we have to be okay with the conservative nature in which Mac Jones is playing and the conservative nature in which the Patriots offense is being called. Look, we all want the home run play. Okay. Baltimore and Kansas City last night in Sunday Night Football, we watched that. That was fun. The home run play, the quick hitter, the fast strike, it's fun to watch, and I've got to imagine it's really fun to play in an offense that operates like that. But when you try to play like that before you're ready to, you get what we saw yesterday from Zach Wilson. When you try to play the Kansas City style before you're ready to, you get what we saw from Zach Wilson. Yesterday's performance by Wilson, was all I needed to see to prove that Mac Jones is playing acceptably right now. In Wilson, you have a guy who's young and talented, who's fun, who can be flashy, who has loads of potential. But again, when you try to run before you can even crawl, you get those kind of results. And quite frankly, that's not what I want from my quarterback, and that's really not what I want from Mac Jones. So, yeah, Sometimes it's frustrating to see Mac Jones leave some meat on the bone. But if, you know, we're trying to tell him to be 
more, you know, take more chances. If the alternative is look like Zach Wilson or play like this and play conservatively, I will take play conservatively every single day right now. The Patriots won't beat every team on their schedule playing this way. They won't. But they'll win a lot of games playing this way, and I want to see Mac Jones grow, and I don't want to see him look like Zach Wilson did yesterday. I mean, that was historically bad from Wilson. He is the fourth rookie top five quarterback ever to have zero touchdown passes and four INTs in the last 20 years. Okay, Fourth. The fourth top five rookie quarterback, no touchdowns passing, four INTs in a game in the last 20 years. So, I mean, it was his, it was comically and historically bad. You almost felt bad for the kid. So, yeah, Mac Jones is conservative, and the play calling is conservative, and they are going to need to develop a downfield passing game if they truly want to accomplish things this year. But, again, if the alternative is what we saw from Wilson, then we just have to be good with this style of play from Mac Jones. There is a famous quote from Bill Belichick that gets thrown around all the time. In the NFL, you have to learn how to, in order to, let's see, what is it exactly? I've got it right here. Okay, before you can learn how to win, you have to learn how to not lose. And that's where Mac Jones is right now. He's not losing the game for his team. It doesn't look sexy. It doesn't look flashy. It doesn't look like Mahomes. It doesn't look like Justin Herbert a lot of times last year. I get it. We want it to look different. But he's at the point of the game where he's not losing the game. Zach Wilson lost the game yesterday for his team. To have four picks, no touchdowns, and throw two picks in your first five passes, I mean, that is just, that makes your football team non-competitive. So while we're asking Mac Jones to take some more chances, understand that in New York, They're asking Zach Wilson to be a little bit more like Mac Jones. After the game, here was Jets head coach Robert Sala on his young quarterback. When when you have a rookie quarterback, and you know, and they have a rookie quarterback too. I mean, shoot, it's it's just having confidence that it's okay to play a boring game of football. You know that that's that's really it. And he is he is an electric dude. He's competitive as crap. He's and uh, he wants to win so bad. But you know, sometimes it's okay to be boring. I think that's a great way to put it. Sometimes it's okay to be boring. And look, that really is what I think the Patriots' offense is right now. They are boring. There's really no way to sugarcoat it through two games. They're plain, they're vanilla, but yesterday at least they were effective. They'll need to develop that explosiveness, but again, I have to be okay with Mac Jones going in this route, learning how to crawl before he can walk, before he can run. Robert Sala is telling his quarterback, hey, we need to put the training wheels back on. So smart people agree it's okay to play like Mac Jones is playing. We saw Trevor Lawrence struggle yesterday. We saw Zach Wilson be bad. Justin Fields wasn't great when he got in in relief of Andy Dalton. So all these people who we think of as much more talented than Mac Jones are all struggling. And Mac Jones right now is doing well enough playing this way. It's not easy to come in and play hero ball like Zach Wilson tried to do. We want it to look like Mahomes. We want it to be as exciting as Russell Wilson. It takes time to get there. And I'd rather Mac Jones now go this way than go the way of Zach Wilson, who's trying to do it all at once. Mac Jones will get there. If he's still playing like this in Week 12 
we'll have a different conversation. But for week two, when the alternative is look like that, like the like their guy did, I guess I'll take what we've got right now. Again, for now. It can't look like this in week 12. But for week two, it can look like this. And I, I'll be much happier with Mac Jones playing too conservatively and too cautiously than like Zach Wilson playing recklessly and over-aggressive. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A couple of texts coming in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Shane from Ripton. Brady, come on. Is Mac Jones really being as conservative as people think? I see him take some shots from time to time. Yeah, actually, Shane, it's pretty amazing how conservative Mac Jones is being and how conservative the Patriots are being. We had the stat from our guy Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. I saw him have this today on social media. Mac Jones yesterday had an air yards average of 4.6 yards, meaning the balls that he threw traveled 4.6 yards on average in the air. Everybody threw a lot of screen passes, did a lot of stuff right at the line of scrimmage. So for for the long ball you saw him throw to Hunter Henry, he threw a lot of balls even or right at the line of scrimmage. So, okay, 4.6 yards, air yards per attempt. Only Jimmy Garoppolo. Of thirty-two guys, you know, thirty-two quarterbacks that started, and then a couple other that that came in relief. Only Jimmy Garoppolo threw shorter than that. So Mac Jones is throwing, you know, almost as short as anybody in the league. I mean, for comparison, Drew Brees last year had the shortest yards per attempt, air yards per attempt of any quarterback, and that was six, a full yard and a half better than what Mac Jones did yesterday. So, if this kind of trend continues for Mac Jones. You're going to see the box get crowded more, and because of that, running the ball is going to get a little tougher, and you're going to get pushed into second and nine and third and six, and that's a tough spot to be in because Mac Jones yesterday, by the way, he was two of seven throwing the ball on third down for 18 yards. Like He wasn't particularly good. So if the box gets stacked because Jones refuses to throw it over the top, he's going to get put in more tough down and distant situations. It's why the Pats cannot afford to have him play like this all season long. First month of the season, I can get it. And I just told you, I'm going to support it so it doesn't look like Zach Wilson looked. But as teams adjust later in the season, if Mac Jones is still doing this, it is going to get tough for Mac Jones. And also, I mean, if the Pats are this methodical all the time, then it's going to look a lot like it did last week against the Dolphins. We're going to have 13, 14 play drives. And Robert Sala said it as much yesterday that, or said it as much last week. Long drives are ultimately wins for the defense. Like, the longer your drive goes, the better chance that someone offensively screws it up, or the better chance that someone on defense makes a play. So the Pats don't want to be in the business of 15 play drives all the time because last week they settled in field goals and turnovers and they lost the game. And if you follow Sala's mo there and what he's saying. That's what we want. We want a 15-play drive because we're going to get an opportunity, a greater opportunity, that you're going to screw it up. I'd like to see the Pats score in four plays at some point, but right now, that's just not the case. Another text, Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. This one comes from Milton in Addison. Brady, do you think Cam Newton would have executed the offense better than Mac has through two weeks? Um, that's a That's a tough question. I... I think the Patriots would be 2-0 and if Cam was the quarterback because I think they would have been better last week in the red zone with Cam than they were with Mac. But 
as far as individual numbers go or whatever, I, I I can't say that. I think Cam would have. I think Cam has more boomer bust in his game right now. That's something that's you know kind of been afforded to him as a decade plus bet. You know, as a decade plus veteran. I think the pass game over the first two weeks would have been more explosive with Cam because I think he would take more shots and I think he's more confident in that intermediate to deep range. So, but I also think you would have likely had more mistakes, a pick, two picks, uh, some more balls that weren't completed. Mac Jones has been very consistent and he's been very accurate for the most part and he's moved the ball. I think Cam's numbers would look better, but I don't know that I can say that Cam would out and out have been much, much better overall offensively. I can see Cam throwing for some higher numbers and throwing for some more touchdowns and taking some more shots, but I think they're also, you know, the Patriots hadn't given the ball away through Mac Jones yet this season. I think through two games, Cam probably would have given it away at least once with the interception. So I do think the Pats will be 2-0 and with Cam. I don't necessarily think that Cam would have been exponentially better, per se, than Mac Jones was. So all right, Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. We are off and running here and also streaming at WDEVradio.com. Pat's win yesterday. We're celebrating Pat's win Monday. We've got our opinions. I just gave you mine on how it looked. But how did it look up close? Bob was Susan, the voice of the New York Jets. He tells us what he saw from Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, and everybody else on the field. Bob was Susan, voice of the Jets, next on DEV. DEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. It is our first Patriots win Monday of the year. Pats beat the Jets yesterday 25-6. to And joining us now for a perspective on the other side is the radio voice of the New York Jets, Bob Wischusen. Bob, how are you? I'm doing fine. Well, I appreciate you being with us. Um, let's start here. Was Zach Wilson's play yesterday, you think, more about him or more about the Patriots' D? I mean, you have to give the Patriot defense credit. I mean, you know, this is not the first rookie quarterback that uh, Bill Belichick has done this to, and obviously it will not be the last. Um, you know, they're a really good defense, and they are chameleon-like, and they change their game plan based on the opponent week to week. Uh, having said that, yeah, this, this is a, a Zach Wilson learning experience. You know, these are now NFL windows you're trying to throw it into, not BYU windows. And that there's a big difference. Um, you know, there were multiple times yesterday where he had the simple throw that he could have made and instead tried to hit home runs or hit triples when it's okay to hit singles. You know, watching last night Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and those offenses, and we think of those offenses as being so high-powered and so high-scoring and so hard to stop. And a lot of the times, you know, the big play is made when a quarterback takes his second or third option on a guy that might be five yards off the line of scrimmage. So, like, take the easy thing. Take the thing that's right in front of you. And on a couple of the interceptions yesterday, he had options that were right in front of him and, you know, decided to try and fit it in there. Um, so I think he'll learn from that. I mean, this is going to be tape that he's going to go back and watch and I think, you know, understand the mistakes that he made. 
Um, but again, to, to give the Patriots, you know, no credit would be crazy because they, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a reason they keep doing this for rookie quarterbacks, and this is again not the first time, not the last. You know, it's so <clears throat> ironic that you say that because you're imploring Zach Wilson to be more cautious. We're asking Mac Jones to be more, you know, to take more shots and take more risks. So you can never win in quarterback evaluation, I guess. What did you think of Mac Jones, who did take a lot of singles yesterday? Well, I mean, and, you know, if you were watching the game and are thinking not in terms of fantasy football or how many numbers can Mac Jones rack up or, you know, why isn't he not throwing it downfield? I mean, like that game with how their defense, had been playing and had a feel of it, of like, don't screw this up. That, that's There are certain games where the job of a quarterback, uh, Bill Parcells always used to say there's only two jobs a quarterback has. It's to get his team in the end zone and for his team to win the game. And watching that yesterday, how Zach Wilson was playing, how confused he was, how good the Patriot defense was, the only way that the Patriots were going to lose that game was if Mac Jones took unnecessary risks and screwed it up because they got the ball in the end zone enough, and the Jets weren't going to. So, you know, there's there's nobody voting. It's not college football where you need a committee to tell you how good a team is. Your record at the end of the season is the only thing that counts. And Bill Belichick knows that. Josh McDaniels knows that. You know, I mean, if that was Tom Brady yesterday, playing quarterback for the Patriots. I think the game would have probably looked about the same. He would have taken what was given. He would have made sure there were no turnovers, win the battlefield position, let your defense go dominate. And over the course of the game, with short field because the defense was dominating, we'll get the ball in the end zone two or three times, and that'll be enough. And that's exactly what it was. So, I mean, to me, quarterbacking, and quarterbacking well and quarterbacking smartly, oftentimes is about reading the game and reading the situation and the kind of game it is and what you need to do to win. I mean, if, you know, when the, if the Patriots make the playoffs and they're playing the Chiefs or they're playing the Chargers, then Mac Jones is going to have to play a different kind of game than he played yesterday. But why would you put the ball in harm's way yesterday when it felt like the Jets could play all day against that defense and they weren't going to score more than, you know, 14, 17 points? Bob with shoes and voice of the New York Jets with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Patriots' first drive, Kendrick Bourne fumbles, but it's ruled forward progress stopped. Did you think that was actually a fumble, and how did that change the momentum instantly? I actually thought it was a good call. Um, I'm probably in the minority, but if you look at it, he was stood up, he was driven backwards, and then they ripped the ball out before he hit the turf. But, I mean, I immediately said on our air, um, that if, when you hear an official say forward progress has been stopped, that's not a reviewable call. That, that's a judgment call. So uh, Robert Sala threw the challenge flag, um, and the officials, you know, had to go over and, and tell him, unfortunately, that's a judgment call. You can't, that's not reviewable. You can't challenge that. You can't, you know, and I understand, you know, early momentum in the game, and all of a sudden you're on the Jets sideline, you see the ball pop out, the officials say no fumble. He may not have heard forward progress. He might have thought, did they really think he was down by contact? There's no way he was down by contact. Look up at the big screen. He's, you know, a foot off the ground and the ball pops out. But, you know, a forward progress is a safety rule. 
right? Like the idea that you're going to end the play once the defense has stopped the progress of a player so that guys on defense aren't necessarily holding a guy up after a player should be after a play should be over so some other guy can come in and pile on or give him a kill shot. And, um, you know, I sometimes I think they're a little quick to say forward progress. Sometimes I think they say forward progress to cover up the fact that they blew it on a fumble call because they know that's not challengeable. But in that case, I actually thought, if you go back and look at it, that he was driven back a yard or two, and as he was being held up and driven back, then they ripped the ball out. I, I didn't think that was a bad call. Bob, I'll get you out of here on this. The Jets ran the ball super ineffectively in week one. Yesterday against the Pats, they ran for over 150 yards. As as a Patriots people, should we be worried about that, or is that just a, a, a product of, hey, we're going to let you churn up your own time here? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I thought that this was a better game for the Jets' defense, uh, offensive line, so I thought that was a bright spot. Um, you know, this like this was a game that was on the quarterback, plain and simply, through four interceptions. And three of the four were really bad decisions. And he had one where, and it actually you can make an argument was a, a bad decision as well. The one that went through Corey Davis's hand, yeah, was actually a pretty good throw. And Corey Davis got two hands on the ball. If you get two hands on the ball, you got to help your quarterback out and make a really tough catch from time to time. And to have it go right through his hands and almost slow it down and tip it to make it an easier interception, you know that, that was some bad luck for Zach Wilson, but at the same time, if you go back and look at that play, Zach Wilson, I think it was Elijah Moore, had a check down like five yards in front of him with 10 yards to run, and that's probably a good example of you don't have to force the 25-yard throw when you've got the five-yard throw right in front of you. And I think that'll be one where he'll go back and he'll say, yeah, Corey Davis could have made a, a catch for me, but you know, I probably should have taken the simpler throw. The other three interceptions were all just a rookie quarterback, you know, struggling and making a bad decision. So, you know, the Jet offensive line, in terms of how they ran the ball yesterday, against a really physical defense. And if you watch the Patriot Dolphin game in week one, I don't know how you could come away from watching that game with anything other than, wow, that Patriot defense, man, they got their guys back. Those COVID guys are back, and they are deep now, and they are really physical. And I thought the Jets were going to struggle to run the ball yesterday, and they ran it very effectively. So, you know, if they can run it and they can keep the heat off the quarterback at times, that'll be a big help for them this season, specifically a big help to the quarterback. Um, But, yeah, I, I, I was encouraged by that. I think that's something that they can build on. Well, we will see the Jets again in just a couple of weeks for round two of this season series. Bob Wachus in the radio voice of the New York Jets making some time for us today here on the Radio Farkas Show. Bob, we appreciate you, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. No problem. You got it. Absolutely. There goes Bob Wachus. Again, one of the really great broadcasters in our field. He also does Big 12 college hoops for ESPN in addition to doing the Jets. So really talented. And, uh, you know, he largely said – what we said at the beginning of the show about the quarterback position. Guys, do we already have that cut up? Staff did a great job getting part of this cut up. Here, Let's play back what Bob said. Yeah, this, this is a, a Zach Wilson learning experience. You know, these are now NFL windows you're trying to throw it into, not BYU windows. And that there's a big difference. Um, you know, there were multiple times yesterday where he had the simple throw that he could have made. 
and instead tried to hit home runs or hit triples when it's okay to hit singles. And that's what Mac Jones has done. Mac Jones has hit a lot of singles. Look, you do need to hit some homers, as I said. Nobody is saying that you can win 13 games and go to the Super Bowl and win it playing how the Patriots are playing offense right now. You can't. But you also definitely can't win 13 games and go to the Super Bowl and win it playing the way the Jets did yesterday. There's got to be a balance. So when I think about Mac Jones, hopefully, and I think he will, grow and find that balance. We all need to remember this, though. Well, we're all screaming about Mac being too conservative, the other side is wishing their guy was more like our guy. And I think that's something that was lost on a lot of fans just through two weeks. It's overreaction Monday, and all I've heard today is Mac's too conservative. Mac is too conservative. But if Mac being overly aggressive results in him looking like that, that Zach Wilson did, then the Patriots would have no chance. So... As I said at the top of the show, I'm much more okay with Mac Jones taking baby steps in order to get to, you know, the kind of quarterback play that we think is is acceptable. I'm much more okay with that rather than him just trying to dive right into the deep end of the pool and looking confused. Because Trevor Lawrence didn't look good yesterday. Justin Fields didn't look good yesterday. Zach Wilson didn't look good yesterday. It's hard for rookies. And when rookies come in and try to do everything, it's really hard for them. And Mac Jones is coming in here and playing within structure and within the system. And I've got to be okay with that. He'll get to a point, and I don't know if it's this year, he'll get to a point, though, where he's confident to take deep shots down the field consistently, like Baker Mayfield does, like Kirk Cousins takes some shots. These guys are conservative quarterbacks, too, with run-first teams. They take some shots. It'll take some time for Mac Jones to get there. I hope that we're talking about a different Mac Jones by the middle of October. That's really my goal. Okay, They're going to see the Saints, and they're going to see Tampa, and I think they got a chance to beat the Saints. I think they're going to lose to Tampa. They can be 2-2. Two and two. They're going to see a bad Houston team in Week 5 who's going to play without Tyrod Taylor. I think they could probably just show up and win that game playing a lot like they did yesterday. Then they'll see Dallas. By the time we get to... The Jets again, which I think is week seven, I want to start to see a different version of Mac Jones. But for this first month and a half, I'm very okay now with him growing slowly. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Good stuff again with Bob Wischusen. What we will do, we will step aside. We'll get a top-of-the-hour update on the national side of things from CBS News. But when we come back, Chris Sale says he's not vaccinated after just going on the COVID list. Is Chris Sale now a hypocrite? One Red Sox reporter says yes. We'll discuss that next. Right Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Invite everybody to subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. And remember, you can check out all of our full interviews there. So we just had Bob Wischusen on from the New York Jets radio broadcast team. But we also spoke with Doug Kai to Pro Football Focus, who used to cover the Patriots today. We'll play some of that back in this hour. But the full interview is already up 
online. And we also had a chance to speak with Nick Mumley of the Inside Groove about the goings-on at Thunder Road this past Friday in the uh, Nation's Site of Excitement Championship Night. So four titles given out across the four divisions. So uh, all those interviews available on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. I'm going to start with this here in the 6 o'clock hour. 802-585-3026 is your Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. If you're not getting vaccinated as a professional athlete, do not tell me that you are doing everything you can to help the team. Simply put, if you are not getting vaccinated, do not tell me you're doing everything you can for the team. There was a really scathing piece written by Steve Buckley in The Athletic this weekend about Chris Sale. Chris Sale, the Red Sox, recently tested positive for COVID, one of the many Red Sox that got COVID, vaccinated or unvaccinated, and ended up on the COVID list. Sale, when he came back Friday night after the game, he revealed that he is not vaccinated. So Buckley basically wrote that Sale was a hypocrite because remember when Sale came back from Tommy John surgery, Sale said he was appreciative to be back. He's grateful for his career. He'll never take another day for granted. And now that he's been impacted by COVID, Buckley says, guess your career doesn't mean that much to you. So that's where the genesis started here. That's where the story began. And I got to say, largely, I agree with what Steve Buckley wrote. Here was Chris Sale, August 16th right after his first start back at Fenway Park. Good. Good to be good to get back out on the big league mound again. Um, you know, doing what I'm supposed to do with uh you know, with my teammates and, you know, having my family here and and some friends and and things like that. Um, I'm just I'm really appreciative. I'm really appreciative. So that's what Sales said on August 16th. Guys, I think we've got one more here that I want to hear Sale. Um, do we have that? Uh, yeah, we do. Okay, let's play this one. To be here now, um, like I, I mean, I just keep saying it. I'm, I'm so appreciative. I, I know that I put in a lot of work. Um, a lot of people around me put in a lot of work. You know, this was this was a lot of stress for a lot of people, and, and a lot of hard work had to go into this to, for me to be able to go do that tonight. And um, you know, I just it was a long time. You know, that's two years almost on the dot, and. I don't really do too well with waiting around and, and not not pulling my end of the, the slack. So, you know, I'm here now and I and I get to roll. Sales says at the end, I don't do well not pulling my end of the slack. Well, Chris, I got news for you. Last week when you were when your team needed you in Seattle against a team that was chasing you, you weren't there and you weren't pulling the end of the slack. Now this is the same thing that I said about Cam Newton and the Patriots. I want to make this very clear. I will defend the player's right to not get vaccinated. It's not a league-mandated rule. So it is the player's right to not get vaccinated. They do not have to get the vaccine. I will defend that right. But if you're not going to get it, don't sit up here and tell me that you're doing everything you can, that you, you've got the team first, that you just want to do the best you can for your guys, because that's not true. Hey, don't get the vaccine all you want, but then also don't come back to me and say that you're all in, because you're not. 
you are not all in if you're not getting vaccinated because you run the risk, like Sale did, of catch of getting COVID yourself or being bumped out for being a close contact. And I get it, right? Like you can get the vaccine and still get COVID. You could still get bumped out, like Kike Hernandez did, like others did on the team. I'm aware of that. But your odds are greater of getting bumped out if you're unvaccinated. So imagine the conversation we'd be having about Sale if they got swept in Seattle last week and he wasn't there to pitch. If they were the team that was a game and a half back instead of the team that was a game up. And it's frustrating to me, too, because we've heard about what a great leader Sale is, and the team needed him at this time without so many key players, and then he ultimately was gone, too. I'm with Steve Buckley, the writer from The Athletic. You tell me you're all in. You tell me you're reinvigorated on your career. You tell me you're not going to take take it for granted. You're never going to take another day in the uniform for granted. You missed it so much. Well, you put yourself in a position to be bumped out. So that's not true. You do come off like a hypocrite. You chose something for you over something for the team. And again, that's okay. You're allowed to do that. But don't play it out both sides. That that I will not have. That I will not have. You're not going to play this out of both sides. You're not the ultimate team guy, and then not getting vaccinated. So that's not true. You're also not. I'll do anything to protect my career. No, you won't. Cam Newton lost his career, as far as I'm concerned, because he didn't get vaccinated. Because either Belichick didn't want to deal with it, or. It opened the door for Mac Jones to get seen more. Either way, Cam Newton not being vaccinated, I fully believe, cost him his job. So you're not doing everything you can to protect your career at that case. We got a text, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. This one is from an unnamed texter in uh, Morristown. Brady, I'm with you. This team needed Sale, and imagine if they were to miss the playoffs because of his selfishness. Now, I I won't go that far. I won't use the word selfish on guys who don't get it. Okay? I, w- I won't use the word selfish. I will only use the word selfish if the teammates themselves used it. The players are the ones impacted by by their teammates' decisions. Chris Sale is not the only unvaccinated Red Sox player. In fact, there's a lot of Red Sox players that are unvaccinated because the team still has not hit the 85% mark. If guys on this team, if guys in that clubhouse are truly okay with their teammates' decisions, then I will be too. But if the team started labeling their teammates selfish, then I would jump in. I am not going to come from the outside and call players that didn't get the vaccine selfish. If it's coming from the inside that the team thinks those guys are selfish, then I have permission to say it. But until then, I don't. I won't go that far. Chris, This is not just a Chris Sale problem. This is a several Red Sox player problem. And we don't know all the ones who aren't vaccinated. And again, it's not all their fault. But Chris Sale, at a time when he was needed, at a time he told us how much he appreciated his career... He did not do everything to show that appreciation, and that's what rubs me the wrong way. Let's stick here for a minute, by the way, on the COVID front. You know, I didn't get in to sports talk radio to talk about science. I didn't get in it to talk about government. I got into sports talk radio because I didn't understand that stuff. 
because I didn't know policy and because I didn't care about the news in at the time. Now, hey, now it's we're on Vermont's news station. Now I'm all in. But like, I got into sports talk radio because I didn't know anything but sports. And now here I am. Personal beliefs, vaccinations, science, policy, political leanings. Here we are. This is the world in 2021. This came down late last week. Major League Baseball is going to require non-player team personnel, including managers and coaching staff members, to be vaccinated against COVID-19 in order to gain access to the field in the playoffs. AKA, if you are a manager or an assistant coach, you have to be vaccinated in order to be a part of the playoffs on the field. This does not apply to players, coaching staffs, and managers. If you are currently unvaccinated, you must receive your first dose of the vaccine by October 4th and have an appointment scheduled for your second dose in order to get on the field. You have to have gotten at least one dose by October 4th, which is the day before the playoffs. Let me ask the question that I hope everyone in the room is asking. What are we doing here? Because that makes absolutely no sense to me. And once more, let me make my point perfectly clear. I understand baseball doesn't want the playoffs ruined by COVID. They're trying to take as much control as they can. And by the way, I'm pro-vaccination. I'm vaccinated. But this is, to me, a really poor example of COVID cosmetic theater to me. What exactly are we doing here? Because think about this. Tom Goodwin, I'll use him as an example. He's the Red Sox first base coach. He's unvaccinated. We know this because he's been knocked out twice as a close contact. And you see him coaching first base nearly all season wearing a mask. He's been doing that nearly the whole season wearing a mask at first base. We know Tom Goodwin is unvaccinated. The AL wildcard game, of which the Red Sox right now are currently scheduled to play in, is October 5th. So he needs to have one dose by October 4th in order to be eligible. You're telling me if he gets if he gets his first shot the day before the playoffs, 24 hours beforehand, he's good to go on the field? That one day you're telling me makes a difference? Because I'm telling you that it doesn't. This one doesn't add up to me in any way. This is all about appearances for baseball, and that really bothers me. For those of you that got vaccinated, myself included, you got the shot, you had to wait two or three weeks, you got another shot, and then you had to wait two more weeks to be considered fully vaccinated. It was a like five to six week process to be considered fully vaccinated. So baseball is now saying you get one jab and you're good after a day, and now we're going to let you have all the access that you want. That is being done for no more than appearances because if Tom Goodwin gets that one shot on October 4th, he's not protected, and he's not protecting anybody else for a significant period of time. If baseball really wanted to do this the right way, and they have the power to mandate on-field staff not players, staff, get vaccinated. They have the power to do that. If they were going to do it and it was truly about public health, then people should be starting to get vaccinated by like last week at the latest. That would give you at least, you know, a couple weeks of coverage. But 24 hours for as little as I told you I know about science, that's doing nothing. 
Like, if Tom Goodwin gets the vaccine, then great. If the Red Sox go into the playoffs as the impetus for him to get vaccinated, then then awesome. But he's not getting any coverage in 24 hours. He could get vaccinated on on October 4th. They could play October 5th and lose, and that's it. And it doesn't matter at that point. He wouldn't If he got vaccinated on October 4th, he wouldn't be fully vaccinated through the entirety of the playoffs. You're not you're not keeping him safe and you're not keeping everybody he's around safe by doing that. That's that's COVID cosmetic theater and and I am not for that. If you were going to do this and take it seriously, that everybody should have had to be at least start the vaccination process by probably the very the middle of September at the latest. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Com. Something else I didn't get in sports talk radio to talk about is taunting rules in the NFL. That's where we're going for who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Here's what we know about New England. Their running game production, their offensive line, their special teams, and their defense will all be top five. And they have the best coach in the game. They're going to win a bunch of games. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. We saw a bunch of taunting penalties handed out yesterday by NFL officials. Okay, It's a new point of emphasis. Basically, no taunting in the NFL, especially no taunting at another player. It's one thing to play to your crowd, but if you play, if you taunt kind of near another player, then you're going to be in trouble with the league. It was a major point of discussion in the offseason, and it was a major point of discussion yesterday. We saw Seattle, Houston, the Chargers. They all got, you know, got got by the taunting rule. Bill Belichick says, I actually like it. Yeah, in general, I don't think there's a place for taunting in the game. I think that's poor sportsmanship, and, and it leads to other things. It leads to retaliation. And and then, you know, where do you, where do you draw the line? And so... I think the whole idea of the rule is to kind of nip it in the bud and not let it get started. And I'm in favor of that. I think that, you know, we should go out there and compete and, and try to play good football and, and win the game on the field. I don't I don't think it's about taunting and poor sportsmanship. That's not really my idea what what good football is. Look, I understand the idea of what Belichick says. I understand the desire to not have fights on the field, and I get that sometimes taunting could lead to retaliation. But come on. The the amount of ticky-tackiness that we saw called yesterday and that impacted games yesterday, that's a problem. Nobody wants to see it as a fan. The players don't want this. J.C. Treader, the Players Association president, came out and said, hey, we didn't vote for this. Like This isn't an us rule. Football is an emotional game, and it's a physical game. And you expect these players to play with physicality and aggression all the time. And then the minute, the second they make a good play, you expect them to turn that off and just walk back to the huddle. That's not realistic. This is the game. The game is fueled by emotion. The game is fueled by physicality, and it's fueled by aggression. There's going to be some of that after the whistle as well. I understand there's a line. And I understand that it's subjective in figuring out what's crossed the line and what isn't. We used to see it was Ricky Waters, right? He used to play for the Eagles, Seahawks, and Niners. I think he used to do the throat slash. Okay, that I get it. We don't want that. 
I think it was uh, some DBs that would do the throat slash when they were shutting down a receiver. I get that. We don't want death imagery on the field. I understand that. I understand not getting right in a guy's face mask for five minutes. I'm with the league on that. But you can't ask these players to play violently and aggressive and emotion-fueled all day long and then immediately jog back to the huddle and pretend like nothing happened. That's not realistic. A few years ago, the NFL began allowing more end zone celebrations, more personality. Like That's the epitome of taunting. Dancing in the end zone, choreographed on someone's logo, that's the epitome of taunting. The NFL allowed that, and it became a lot more fun. The league benefited greatly from it, and now the league wants to go backwards in a big-time way. Doug Kide, Pro Football Focus. We're going to play back some of my interview with him in about 15 minutes. I asked him about the taunting rule. Here's what he said. The idea is that they don't want fights on the field, and they think that taunting is what leads to those fights. When in all reality, you don't really see a lot of fights on the field in yeah. the NFL, and I think that players are smart enough to to not you know, get into those situations. Yeah, I, I don't need people hovering over people who are on the ground. Again, you don't want the choke sign made. You don't want the throat slash. You don't want someone giving someone the finger. There is a line to Belichick's point, but I don't think a line is crossed when a DB stands up with a wide receiver and goes, uh-uh-uh, and waves his finger. I don't think that a DB who knocks over, who knocks away a pass and gets up and you know puts his arms across saying, hey, not here. I don't think that that's bad. In fact, I think that that emotion is good for the league. This is an alpha-driven sport, and you have helped make it that way. You can't turn off all that alphaness all the time. I, I'm not in favor of this rule. And to Belichick's point about sportsmanship, I can appreciate that, right? It's an old-style view, and I kind of like that. I do think there's a proper way to taunt and a jerky way to taunt, but I don't think that what we saw yesterday that was getting called were jerky and unsportsmanlike. I mean, Belichick talks about being sportsmanlike. I remember Belichick dropping F-bombs and John and Adam Thielen of the Vikings a couple of years ago on the field. I mean, that's unsportsmanlike. So Belichick's not above getting emotional. And I would think he would understand that the players shouldn't be above that either. This is... This is the game. It's an emotion-fueled game, and it should stay an emotion-fueled game. And I'm not saying, I told you last week, you don't ever lose because of one play or one call. That's never cost anybody a game. But you do see that these calls help add up to a loss for teams. The Seattle loss yesterday, they blew it, right? They had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter against Tennessee. But when you give... You know, pass interference in the end zone on DJ Reed and the Titans get more possessions out of it and score. That that's a problem. And you have games being an impact. And with all the money now being gambled on around the NFL, I don't know that you want the refs having even more control of the outcome. It's just not a good look for the league. I hope that they kind of tone it down a bit. You know, often we see these points of emphasis in the preseason and then they kind of go by the wayside as the season goes on. I hope that that happens here. The game is fun, and it is physical. And part of the fun is its physicality. A little trash talk never hurt anybody. 
I don't need A.J. Green and Jalen Ramsey fighting each other. I don't need Andre Risen and Deion Sanders fighting each other. I, I'm with Belichick on that. But, you know, the, you know, making the no-fly zone sign as a DB, that should not cost the team 15 yards and help lead to a loss. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, Patriots didn't get a taunting penalty yesterday against the Jets, but they did commit six more penalties, which is unlike them. They had eight in week one. So, all right, when we come back, we discuss the rest of the Patriots' news and notes. We will unpack the Patriots, all the takeaways from the week two win over the New York Jets. It has the Pats at one and one. Unpacking the Patriots next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Let's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The show brought to you in part by Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness is a high-intensity interval training program in South Burlington. It's really a great way to work out. I, I've tried a lot of different ways to work out, and usually I just ended up, you know, pre-COVID, just playing basketball, right? I'd go to the gym, and I would just play hoop. And it was fun, but I don't know what I got out of it other than just cardio. Then I would try going to the gym with weights, and I'd kind of just kind of hang around and do a set and take two minutes off and do a set and go get a drink of water, and I just never felt that productive. It took too long. It was too difficult for me to get into a routine. Well, not at Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness is a one-hour-long workout class in which the workout is chosen for you every day. There's three components to it. There's a rower, there's a floor exercise, there's floor exercises, and there's a treadmill-based program. You're getting strength, you're getting cardio, and you're getting endurance. Endurance, And all three of them come together, in my mind, to make it a great workout. One hour long, structured, you're in, you're out. There is none of this, uh, what am I doing here? Okay, I got to think about it. There's no planning the workout. It's planned for you. The coaches are great. I suggest if you want to get back in the swing of things here after COVID and uh, you know get back into working out and get into a great routine, I suggest giving Orange Theory Fitness a call. You can find them on Facebook at Orange Theory Fitness Burlington. It's located right on Shelburne Road. So it's something that I've been doing for three years pre-pandemic, and I've been doing it again now as the pandemic uh, you know continues on, but you're doing it safely and socially distanced there as well, and I've enjoyed getting back into the swing of things. Patriots beat the Jets. Final score, 25-6. to Pats now 1-1. One one. Cue up the music so we can unpack the Pats, please. The good. And two were trying to get away. Got a block. Phillips was chasing. And it is almost picked off. It was. And the bat. And it's Miami football, their second fumble recovery of the day. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show. You know, it's funny. I was going to put in some new highlights from that one there for the good and the bad. There were no bad highlights for the Patriots, really. No interceptions, no fumbles. Other than a couple of flags, Pats didn't do a whole lot wrong per se. You know, at least that was highlightable. So we kept in the Miami cuts there. But we'll change those out every single week moving forward. All right. Number one, these are in no particular order. Other takeaways that I have from the Pats and their win over the New York Jets. James White is really benefiting from Mac Jones being the Patriots quarterback. James White's having a very good early season here. 
He's caught 12 of the balls thrown his way. He's had 13 passes thrown in his direction, 12 of them he has caught. Last year, his catches per game and yards per game were the lowest they'd been at any point since 2015. Now he's back in the mix like he was when Tom Brady was here. He's catching everything that's thrown to him, and he's running it well as well. It's White. Look at him weave for six. Touchdown, New England. And they cash in on the interception thrown by Wilson and picked off by their terrific Adrian Phillips. It's good to see James White back in the fold like he was before because last year was a really weird year for James White for multiple reasons. We know about the personal tragedy. He lost his father week two of last season. You can only imagine the toll that took on him personally and professionally. And then as much as I love Cam, no player was hurt by Cam being the quarterback more than James White. Cam's lack of touch, his lack of accuracy at times made it really tough for James White to get going because Cam doesn't put the ball on you perfectly. Hard for James White to get going with yards after the catch. He just wasn't a big part of the offense last year. And with Cam, the Pats became a power run team. And White doesn't really fit as a power running back. And Cam also ran the ball a lot. And the team had to run the ball a lot to cover for Cam's inability to throw at times. So James White was kind of phased out in 2020. I don't think by design. It's just the way it shook out. It's good to see James White kind of back in action here in 2021. And Bill Belichick gave him some great praise this morning on WEEI. James is one of our best players. Um, he's tremendous consistency. He can really, you know, do whatever we ask him to do. Um, third down, first down, run the ball, catch it. Let's pick up. Um, you know, he gives that group great leadership with his um, preparation and, uh, and, and performance. You know, he's always ready to go on game day. So whatever you need him to do, that's a guy you can really, really count on. And, uh, you know, he came through big today. You know, he, James White's not going to be an NFL Hall of Famer. He's not going to be a pro football Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Patriots Hall of Famer. He has been a great Patriot. Bill Belichick's right, and James White deserves that credit. He doesn't usually get it because he doesn't put up the gaudy numbers, per se, in terms of running the football, and he's not going to put up you know, 1,500 yards receiving. He's a good all-around football player, and he's one of the key components to this Patriots team now and going back several years. This team has always had a good pass-catching running back since they've been good. Kevin Falk, Shane Vereen, James White. Okay. James White's a big part of this team and of this organization. Unpacking the Patriots, my number two takeaway here on the positive side of things for New England. J.C. Jackson is better than I gave him credit for. And I shouldn't have worried about Jackson like I did without Stephon Gilmore. I really wasn't sure if Jackson could handle being the number one corner with Gilmore out. He's shown that for now, against these opponents at least, he can't. He is a ball-hawking player. He's always around the football, and he was again yesterday. Five yards to be exact, second down two. Watch both ways. Here comes Wilson, deflected. It's reeled in and intercepted on the play by Adro. Let's see, caught on the play by J.C. Jackson, who makes another interception. He was number two last season in the NFL with picks on the ricochet. He picks off Wilson. And he got this one, too. Third down and four, good time inside, Wilson, intercepted, third of the day, picked off at the 14-yard line, the second today for J.C. Jackson. Jackson has started 24 career games in the NFL. He's got 20 career interceptions. That's three more than Malcolm Butler had in his entire career. 
I mean, J.C. Jackson is always around the ball. He is a playmaker. He is going to get paid. It's just a question of if it's by the Patriots or not. I have tended to think he would not get paid by the Pats all along. I thought the Pats would find a way to bring back Gilmore and they'd let Jackson go in free agency. Every time that Jackson makes plays like he did yesterday, the price tag goes up on the Patriots and the rest of the league. J.C. Jackson is going to get his money. I just don't know if it's going to be in Foxborough. Takeaway number three here as we unpack the Patriots. You know, if you're looking for things to complain about, the Pats still aren't finishing drives the way that they should. They're still not finishing drives the way that they should. Think about this. Patriots had 11 drives yesterday. Seven of them ended on the Jets' side of the field. Okay, so seven times they ended on the Jets' side of the field. Two ended with touchdowns. Three ended with field goals. Two touchdowns, three field goals. They're going to have to finish drives better against better teams. You can get away with it against the Jets, who gave you the game yesterday. But you're going to see Cleveland. You're going to see the Chargers. You're going to see Dallas. Those teams will make you pay for your sins. And a sin in the NFL is not cashing in and scoring touchdowns when you can't. Think about it like a Major League Baseball pitcher. If a pitcher walks the bases loaded, he may be able to get around that against Baltimore. But when you walk the bases loaded against Toronto, you give up a six spot. And they make you pay. A good lineup will make a pitcher pay for inducing his own traffic. A good football team will make you pay for not cashing in in the red zone and in the plus side of the field. The Pats are going to get to a point where the schedule gets tougher. Buffalo, twice. Again, uh, again, Cleveland. They're going to see uh, Dallas, I just said. Like, good teams are going to make them pay for this. Number four, unpacking the Patriots right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. For the second week in a row, the Pats weren't very good against the run, and the Jets had over 150 yards rushing. I don't know. I don't know what that stems from. The Pats' defense has a lot of money invested in that front seven and a lot of money invested in trying to stop the run, period. We thought they'd be much, much better at that. Did the Jets run all over them yesterday because the Pats were up so big? The Pats said, look, run as much as you want. We're not going to let you throw it to get quick strikes. Maybe the Pats conceded the run in an effort to allow the clock to churn. But bottom line is they allowed 152 yards rushing, a five yards per carry average. They had four carries that went 13 yards or more against them. So the Pats secondary was great, but the front seven of the defensive line, they were a letdown. I just don't know if it's because they're not as good as we think, or did the Pats concede the run, again, in an effort to let time go off the clock. And by the way, the offensive line, a blemish as well. Mac Jones got hit again a lot yesterday. Trent Brown didn't play. Yasir Durant got benched. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, says, yeah, right tackle right now, that is a blemish. The tackle position's a problem. And I think the Patriots have known it's a problem going all the way back to training camp. I mean, you don't make a trade for somebody like Yasir Durant, who's a backup in Kansas City, and you didn't really send all that much to go and get him. But you're only looking if you know you don't like your depth of tackle. And you know on top of that that your two starters, Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn, tend to miss time. And Isaiah Wynn, by the way, has not been great in general. He's allowed multiple penalties this year. I think three penalties already 
for win this season. He's already allowed, I want to say, seven pressures on the quarterback. He only allowed like 16 all of last season. So Isaiah Wynn, a guy who they exercised their fifth-year option on, he's simply got to be better. Unpacking the Patriots, number five, Nick Folk deserves our appreciation. Nick Folk, the kicker for the Pats, set a new franchise record, 33 consecutive field goals made. The, again, he broke the record. He set a record. Folk, 33 straight field goals. Kudos to him, a veteran who came in and solidified the position in 2019. Because remember in 2019 how bad it was? Steven Goskowski was bad. Then he was hurt and was on IR. Then they had Mike Nugent for a bit. Then they had Kai Forbath for a game. It's nice to see the kicker position solidified. If you think the kicker position doesn't matter, you are wrong. Watch what's going on in Minnesota right now. Vikings lost yesterday, a game they shouldn't have lost at the buzzer because they couldn't hit a kick. Look at what happened to the Chargers over the last several years. Look at what's happened to the Titans over the last several years. Kickers can really make or break your season in the NFL. The Pats were fortunate. Adam Vinatieri, Steven Goskowski, they were very fortunate to have really good kickers for a while. Nick Folk has kind of has helped right the ship over the last several years here. So uh, good on him, and it's nice to not have to worry about that position right now. So it is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Earlier today, I had an opportunity to speak with Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus, and Doug used to cover the Patriots for Nesson, so he's you know super in the know about the uh, – What's the goings-on in Foxborough? So I spoke with him earlier. We spoke for about 12 minutes. The full interview is available on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I've given you the kind of the four minutes you need to know right now here on the show. So I started out talking with Doug, and I said, Doug, you've covered a lot of games. When you have a game that is as lopsided as yesterday was, do we really learn anything? Did we learn anything about the Patriots yesterday in that lopsided victory? That's a good question. I think that, you know, even as I was watching the game early on, I was thinking they need to start capitalizing on these mistakes a little bit better. And they certainly did enough, obviously, to come away with a 25 to 6 win. Um, but I don't know. I'd say that we're. You didn't learn a lot, I feel like, in that game. It's it's a good sign that they were able to come away with a win with a rookie quarterback. Good to get that first win out of the way for Mac Jones. But, I mean, Zach Wilson was really erratic, uh, very mistake-prone, and obviously the Patriots were able to, you know, get those interceptions and force some of those mistakes. Uh, but I wouldn't say that we learned an awful lot about the Patriots uh, on Sunday. You know... I, I guess put me in this camp too. I don't know if it's criticizing per se, but I have desired Mac Jones to take some more shots down the field. I've desired them to not be as conservative, but is yesterday's Zach Wilson play kind of a testament to being boring is actually okay. And we shouldn't be criticizing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually don't mind them playing it safe with Mac Jones. I think that that is, the smart approach early in the season. I think that as long as they can come away with wins like this, and they should have won in week one against the Dolphins, if not for the the fumble by Damian Harris. So, I mean, you're looking at a one-on-one team. It's a very fair one-on-one team. They deserve to be one-on-one. But I think it's working at this point for Mac Jones. The offense is efficient enough with what they're asking him to do. I think that they'll ramp it up as the season goes along. But yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I mean, Robert Sala said it after 
after the game that, you know, Zach Wilson has to accept that a boring game of football might be the best approach at this point. And throwing four interceptions without any touchdowns is not going to win you many games yeah. uh, in the NFL. So, yeah, I think that if you compare those two performances, you'd much rather have the boring game of Mac Jones than what Zach Wilson did on Sunday. Doug Kide, lead national football writer for Pro Football Focus. He's here with us on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. How good is J.C. Jackson? <laughs> I, I'm a big J.C. Jackson fan. I know that he's he's not quite as locked down as someone like Stefan Gilmore against those number one wide receivers. You, you would not have the same level of confidence in JC Jackson going up against DeAndre Hopkins as you would in Stefan Gilmore. But JC Jackson's also a massive playmaker at cornerback, uh, which has its merits as well. He's almost more Marcus Peters than he is, uh, you know, Darrell mm. Rivas or Stefan Gilmore, yeah. something like that. And I would even say that. You know, I'm a big fan of Marcus Peters. I, I grew up uh, in Seattle, so I'm a Washington Huskies fan. Um, and so I was a big fan of Marcus Peters when he was playing for the Huskies. But I think that he takes maybe slightly more risks than J.C. Jackson. J.C. Jackson's a pretty solid overall cornerback who still gets all of those interceptions. He leads the NFL in interceptions since he came into the league in 2018. And one of his best traits is his ability to defend the deep ball. I think throughout his career, he's only allowed something crazy like six deep completions on like 50 or 60 targets. So I think that if anything, he might be a little bit underrated, at least in New England, because people want him to be Stefan Gilmore when he's just this completely different entity who can affect games in other ways by making probably, you know, more plays on the ball than Stefan Gilmore does. All right, that was a portion of my interview with Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus. Again, we spoke for about 12 minutes. The full interview is available on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. I just put the interview out on my Twitter account, by the way, at WDEV Radio Brady. And, and I'm with Doug. I was thinking about this, too, when we spoke. I really don't think we learned a lot about the Patriots yesterday overall. I think yesterday all we did was learn about Belichick, and we learned that Belichick is still great. If we were ever doubting Belichick, yesterday showed us that he is still great. He can still run a defense. He can still make life difficult for quarterbacks, especially young ones. Tua had beaten him last year, had broken the streak. You know, It had been nine consecutive wins for uh, uh, Belichick against rookie quarterbacks. Tua beat him late last year. Belichick showed he can still put a game plan together that can disguise and confuse a young quarterback. And that's important, I think, because they're going to see Trevor Lawrence this year. They're going to see young quarterbacks like Justin Herbert later, too. To know that Belichick still has it, I think, is important for people to see. And yesterday, it did. So, But again, as far as the Pats go, I don't think we learned a whole lot. It felt like the game was in control early. The Pats did their job. They were kind of able to put it on cruise control. There wasn't a whole lot of adversity yesterday for New England. They didn't have to come back. They just kind of rode it out and got a nondescript win. So, um, yeah, there are things to take away, nuggets to learn about, but I don't think we can say we learned a whole lot about the Patriots. So I'm with Doug Kide right there. Again, you can check Doug out on social media, at Doug Kide. He's from Pro Football Focus. He's their lead national writer. So, Always enjoy an opportunity to speak with him. Again, he covered the Patriots for Nesson for a number of years and did it really, really well. So, J.C. Jackson, man, uh, some of the stuff Doug was saying, he's right. J.C. Jackson is underrated in New England because he's being compared to 
Stephon Gilmore. That that's the reason. If J.C. Jackson was playing for the Lions, we'd probably think he was great. If J.C. Jackson was playing for Minnesota, we'd think he was great. If he was playing for Atlanta, we'd think he was great. But because he plays opposite Stephon Gilmore, we think that he rides his coattails a little bit, and we don't give him proper credit. At least I don't. I don't know that I would give J.C. Jackson Jalen Ramsey money. I'm not ready to say that. I don't know that I'd give him Stephon Gilmore money. But he is a key part of this team, and he has gone under the radar to at least me, and we need to start recognizing that he is good on his own, and he's not just a product of being opposite Savon Gilmore. All right, Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, allow me to rant for a little bit, because I saw something about youth sports this weekend in Vermont, and it's so infuriating to me. I'll tell you what that is. That's next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson will come up just after 7 o'clock. I want to take a moment here. And just vent about something. Because I feel like there are some kids, some youth sports athletes that are being robbed of opportunities. And what I wanna where I wanna where this comes from is this. I was driving around the other day, and I won't say which town, but I saw a sign that said soccer tryouts were being held for next spring's team this weekend. So the team won't play until next spring, six months from now, but tryouts were being held today or that day. Conversely, I also saw a baseball program that was having tryouts for next summer's team this past weekend. And I thought to myself, that is really unfair because a kid never gets the benefit of an off season to get better and to try to make a team. Look, take it from me. I was a kid who was on the B team growing up a lot in baseball and I got stuck into this cycle of always being a B-team player, and that's how I was always perceived. And there's a lot of kids, I'm sure, in Vermont that are looked looked at like that. And when those kids go home, their parents tell them, hey, if you practice real hard, you got a chance to make the A-team. Well, no, you don't. You don't have a chance to make the A-team if you're being forced to have your tryouts you know, six months out. Think about it. The baseball season just ended, and this program – was going to have tryouts for next summer. What if this, and I don't know how old these people were, but what if this kid or any kid shot up two inches in the offseason, now can hit the ball 30 feet further, now can throw the ball four miles an hour harder, and you never get a chance to see it materialize over the offseason. He's always going to be labeled one way because of how he looked six months ago. That's a problem. I think there are kids being robbed of opportunities. You have kids that take, there's all this one-on-one instruction now, all these lessons. You get a kid who his season ends in baseball, ends in July, and he wants to take lessons all offseason, all winter, and get better, and work on his pitching, and work on his hitting, and boom, by next April, he is so good, he's so much better. But he never got the benefit of it, because he made him try out for the team in August. And those five months of gains don't matter. Or the kid doesn't even take lessons because he's got no shot now. You know, he knows. He's already been put on a team. He doesn't have to do it. I, I, I'm not okay with that. You're robbing kids of opportunity. I understand that 
It helps with fundraising, who's on the team, and it helps with the sweatshirt order, and it helps with facility rental in the offseason. I get all that. But you have kids that could get so much better over the course of an offseason, and they're not given that opportunity. And that's just wrong. This soccer team that I saw, which started this whole thought, I'm like, next spring, you're going to play in April, and you're picking a team in September. That's six months, seven months. How much better could a kid get? How about if a kid was doing ladder drills all offseason in his or her basement? How about if a kid is working on their hand-eye coordination and they're dribbling soccer balls up and down their basement for four months? They could get a lot better. And they're not being given the opportunity to show that that hard work can pay off. There's no need, no real tangible need to pick a team six to eight months early. Go through the offseason. The baseball team that's not going to play until next May doesn't need to pick its team until at least March. It doesn't need to be picked the preceding September, the minute after the last season ends. That's not right, and I think kids are being robbed of opportunity when that happens. Brady Farkas Show brought to you in part by uh, Evan Holstrom Racing. Evan Holstrom is an 18-year-old race car driver out of Northfield, Vermont. He's having a very uh, good career already on the Pro All-Star Series with the Super Late Models, so you can check him out sometimes at Thunder Road and all up and down the East Coast. He's raced in the Vermont Milk Bowl before, which is coming up in just a couple of weeks from now, so EvanHolstromRacing.com. You can support his sponsors, learn more about his story, but again, he is uh, crushing it on the Pro All-Star Series for the Super Late Models. So if you enjoy learning about the Jason Corlises and all the great local drivers, well, add Evan Holstrom to your list of names that you need to know. Thanks to Bob Wischusen, the voice of the New York Jets, for stopping by. Doug Kide of Pro Football Focus. We talked about Thunder Road with Nick Mumley of, as well of the Inside Groove. He was with me also. All those interviews available on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We're back at it again tomorrow for a 40-minute show. Patriots broadcaster Bob Sosi will be with us. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is next on DEV. 